0: In John chapter 1, you guys have all heard of one of the disciples that Jesus called. His name was Peter. You guys all heard of him, right? And if you're looking in John chapter 1, turn your attention to verse 40. We'll look at verses 40 through 42. John chapter 1, 40 through 42. And then one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his brother, Simon, and said, to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked to him said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, we don't have time to look at this in depth, but here's what I can tell you God wants to do with every person. God finds you the way you once were, And wants to make you something different. Your name means this because I want it to mean this. He does it throughout the Bible. Your life was kind of going in this direction, but I want to turn it and have it go this direction. You used to be soft and shifty. Simon means shifty. But I want to make you strong and firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see wondrous things from your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would look at our own selves and say, Lord, what is it that you want to do with us? And yet, thank you what you've already done for us. Thank you for your grace this morning. Open every ear, open every heart. Soften us that we would hear and learn from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the Old Testament, you guys have all heard of the Passover. We just had Passover season not that long ago. The Passover, the primary reason for the institution of the Passover was for Israel to remember what? That God had saved them from bondage, that God had brought them out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, and into fellowship with the Lord, into a life of worshiping the Lord. And not only that, that they would be reminded year after year of what God had already done for them, but they would also not just be reminded... Scripture telling they were to remind their children and to remind their children and to remind their children, this is what God did for us, this is what God did for us, to annually consecrate themselves to the God who had saved them. In the book of Acts, Paul's uh, conversion was recorded three times. And we're to be encouraged by God's redemption in our life. We're to be encouraged and reminded what God has done. And so as I mentioned uh, with my wife standing beside me 22 years ago this month, by God's grace, me and my wife, we gave up our plans for his plans. That's also awesome. ultimately did. When you got saved, whether you realize it or not, God was really telling you, it's time to give up your plans for my plans. And if you've not done that, he's saying to you now, it's time to give up your plans for my plans. In Jeremiah 29, 11, there's these beautiful words. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, God has a better plan for our lives than we ever could have for ourselves. God was calling us to his grace and his peace, not to misery. That's why a lot of people won't get saved. They're like, yeah, but I'll have to be a Christian, and that is the worst of all things. But it really is the best of all things, not only for this life, but for eternity. But it wasn't just God saving our souls that he came to us but equally to fill his plans in our life. His plans in our life, not our plans. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. In other words, we, we think we're going in one direction, just like Simon, and Jesus turned to him and said, You're now going to be a fisher of men. You were a fisher. Now you'll be a fish, you're a fisherman. Now you'll be a fisher of men. You're going to turn and go this direction. And so God wants to redeem us. He wants to remake us. He wants to reroute us for his glory and for his namesake. We talked about that last week in the 23rd Psalm. And I want this morning just to start a little bit of background. Yes, me and my wife were born at one time. Uh, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. That's the top picture there. One state above us, right there on the Chesapeake Bay. My wife was born in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, and that's just an hour and a half or so south Uh, also on the Chesapeake Bay, two different states. We were born three years apart, both born on the Chesapeake Bay, and yet my wife hates seafood. So uh, for whatever reason, her family thinks she's missing something in the gene pool or whatever else because everybody else likes it. Uh, My family loves seafood, and I was born in Apples. She's born in Hampton, and yet uh, she would rather have anything but seafood. But you all in this room were all... Planned by God. Jeremiah 1:5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God had you in mind, me in mind. Each and every person, God has specifically, wherever you were born, you're born in another country, and you're somehow here, you're born in another state, and you're somehow here. He has purposed your life and my life. Now, for the two of us, we had no idea when we were born in Annapolis and in uh, Hampton that we would ever meet, but. Around, along came the 80s. We were teens of the 80s. We met in 1988. I was 19. She was 16. Yes, that is a mullet I have there, if you're wondering. For you younger people, they did exist. It wasn't just Billy Ray Cyrus and others, uh, you know. Other well, fools like me had them too, so, uh, so that's kind of an 80s look. That she, and by the way, you see my wife on the far right there with the, 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 the jeans, and they're all ripped up and tie-dyed. See, we made our jeans that way. We didn't buy them that way like you kids. We had to work at it. We had to, we had to wear our own holes in. We didn't buy them at Abercrombie and Fitch that way and pre-ripped and all that stuff. We had to work for that sweatshirt that mine ripped. I had to wear it into that worn-out look, and it was really cool, and we had great things like Rubik's Cubes, and we knew how to redo our tapes with pencils and all that good stuff. And We had typewriters in high school, too, kids. We saw the birth of Macintosh and Windows, but we also, our school systems didn't know that at the time. We were still using typewriters when we were word-processing. A, B, F, G, what, sem- a, Semicolon, whatever it was. I've even forgotten now. But uh, we were, as Pastor Joe Fosch of Calvary Philly likes to say, we were born in the MTV generation. That really was. That was the beginning of the MTV generation in the 80s, and that's where we kind of came together. And we didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We grew up going to church. Mine was a more, like, kind of a stricter kind of uh, church, and hers was a, was a more kind of relaxed church. Uh, It's kind of anything goes, uh, but they both taught the Bible, but we didn't have, me and my wife, didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, when you actually pray, you get into the Word, you actually want to share your faith, you actually have a desire for spiritual things. We had none of that. It was just like, when can I get out of this place? And so when we got out of high school, uh, we really didn't go to church. We ended up I'm cutting out a lot of things. We ended up in a, a little town called Miami, Florida. I had actually been to college and dropped out and got back in, and somehow we ended up meeting uh, in Richmond uh, again when I was 1916. But within a year or two, within a couple of years, we had ended up in in Miami. She was going to Saint Thomas University. I was going to Florida International University uh, there in South Florida, and so we lived there and. I think for a lot of us, and this would, this would speak to many of us in this room, before we came to Christ, we may not have been consciously running from God. Think back in your own life. You may not have been saying, I am running from God. And yet you were. You would say, well, I don't remember feeling that. It doesn't matter. When we don't come to the truth, we're actually resisting it. And so we were running from the Lord. Didn't really think we were. But I know this, we definitely were running towards our version of happiness, our version of friendship and relationship, our version of success, our version of fun, our version of fulfillment. What do you think that's true of most people? They're looking for their version of fulfillment. In college, we were—you know—we were there. We we basically we were going to school. We were trying to get our education. We were doing internships. I had a chance to work at the largest TV station down there. I Worked for Dade County. As a matter of fact, one of the buildings I worked in is right in that skyline there. My wife worked for the Florida Marlins baseball team for a while in college, and so we we had our dreams of what we wanted to do. Our our big dream was someday have really good jobs, live in like New York City or Los Angeles. We wanted, to, we wanted to accomplish things. And in between, we just wanted to party a lot with our friends and have a good time. And we were doing all those things. But God wasn't part of any of it. It wasn't part of our thought process. We weren't thinking, where does God fit into our life? That was not anything we thought of. I remember my dad calling one time. We were down in Miami. He called me and said, have you been to church? I said, church? No, I haven't been to church. He said, have you met any Christians? I said, there's no Christians here. At least not where I was going, there weren't any. <laughs> so I was convinced there was no Christians in Miami. I don't know that I was convinced, but I just it was an auto-response for me to kind of feel better about my own decisions. You know, we had some level of guilt. One time we were, we were, we were living together. We weren't married, but we were already living together, um, which is normal in America and, and more normal now than it was then, even though it was pretty normal then. Uh, we went to a church one Sunday Uh, She can't even remember going there, hardly. Uh, But I said, yes, we did, remember? I said, I tried to describe it. That's how oblivious we were to Said It didn't make much... I can't remember what the message was or anything else, but we went once, and that was enough. I think it was like the only time, like a six-year period, we donned the doors of a church, unless we were back in Richmond visiting family and it was a Christmas cantata or something like that. Other than that, we didn't go to any church. Uh, After Hurricane Andrew... Remember, Hurricane Andrew it did a lot of damage to, to South Florida. We actually moved from the Miami. We move 30 more minutes north up to Fort Lauderdale because Miami and Fort Lauderdale are only 30 miles apart. So we moved up. A lot of damage was done uh, to that part of uh, Miami. So we moved up, got a new apartment. And um, while we were living there, she was working on her master's degree. I was still trying to finish my undergraduate degree. Uh, she was way more focused than me, uh, <laughs> was then, and... Uh, I do think that, you know, my parents divorced, her parents didn't. I actually think that it's one of the things that uh, kids that they go through divorce, they lose a lot of focus. I see it all the time. I talked to kids at the Fan of the Reunion just uh, this weekend. We're older. They're in their 20s now, voicing these things to me. I hear it from people all the time. So parents, get close to Jesus and stay together. But if you're not, and you've gone through a divorce or something like that, God has grace to cover all that, but make sure that God covers it. Because uh, if for your health, for the health of your kids, it's very important. But, you know, God was still calling me and uh, still calling her, but we just didn't hear it. So we moved to the Fort Lauderdale area. I was just spent between 1993 and 1995. Uh, one particular night, we were at a, uh, a party with a bunch of our friends. Uh, I like to say, those of you back in the early 90s, there was a show called Melrose Place. That was our apartment complex. I mean, you could have put the music to this and just filmed us for an entire week, and that was, that was our place. It was, it was a lot of sin and a lot of just junk. And, uh, but one night, we were at a party, and one of, one of my friends, he was an air traffic controller, uh, and he goes, hey, I started going to a Bible study. We're all like, what? When you say Bible at a party, first of all, it gets everybody's attention, you know would be like yelling, "Get drunk at church" or something like that, you know. So um, it's kind of the opposite of what you expect to hear. And so he mentions a Bible study. He started going to a Bible study. First of all, you, we, you know, not you. And so he said, "No, no, that's no, cool. Church. It's called Calvary Chapel. Uh, you might like it, Tim. There's a bunch of surfers there because at that time I used to surf a lot before I had injuries and all the other stuff. And so I said, "All right, well, yeah, you know, we." We didn't say that we had familiarity with church. We just kind of, but we had a lot of familiarity. So, God used that to draw us, and we started to visit from time to time. And for a while there, we had like fifteen, sometimes maybe, maybe even a little more, of our friends would all go to church. All of us unsaved, sit in our same little section. Now, Calvary Fort Lauderdale was huge—ten thousand people attending there. So there was other pods like us of unsaved people who would come, and we'd get all convicted and then not go back for many weeks. <laughs> then we'd get our, hey, this sounds fun again, and we'd go again, and worship would be cool, and we'd see people raising their hands Hey, well, that's new. We've never seen people do that. Back from Richmond, everyone's wearing suits, and, and you either went to the black church or the white church, and this is, uh, this is weird, and people are actually together, and they're worshiping together, and what is going on here? And so those things struck us. And then we'd get convicted again, and we'd enjoy it, and we'd get convicted, and then we'd say, oh, we can't take that for a while again. <laughs> and this pattern would go on and on for like two full years. Some of you may be in that pattern right now, and God is saying it's time to end the pattern. It's time to give up your plans for his. And um, I bet that just continued. Um, my final invite uh, that I'll never forget is so I was getting my hair cut just a few weeks before we actually got saved. I was getting my hair cut, and the girl was cutting my hair. I saw her Jesus thing hanging here and fish, and I love Jesus bracelets. And I'm like, she's pretty, I'm pretty sure she loves Jesus. It's all over, <laughs> uh, all over her uh, jewelry. So I'm like, uh, I hope church doesn't come up because I've gone, not gone, gone, not gone, getting convicted, <laughs> should have gone forward, didn't go forward, all that kind of stuff. Finally, she says out of the blue, very awkward Pregnant, pause. She says, um, "I could get fired for this, but God just wants me to invite you to church." And she tells me where. So we're 30 miles from Calvary Fort Lauderdale. So I'm like, "Can't possibly be that." That's where she invites me, and that's where we had been. We've been driving every time we would go. So all of that running, the Lord had been calling. And then um, 1995. We've been a year after, a year and one month after being married. Uh, We got married in 1994, um, stopped living in a way that was opposed to God's plan, got married but still weren't saved. And we were actually at a bar in Fort Lauderdale uh, on a Saturday night. We, We had still been intermittently going to church every now and then, and usually when we'd go to church, we were still a little bit groggy from the night before, if you know what I mean, but we would still go. Well, one particular Saturday night, we were at this bar. It's still there in Fort Lauderdale. It's a famous bar. It's been there since the 60s called the Parrot Lounge. It's right there, down near, right near uh, A1A. And we were closing the joint down with all of our friends. And someone said, hey, are we going to church tomorrow? I don't know why we think this way. (laughs) Hey, are we going to church tomorrow? Because we kind of liked it, even though we wouldn't commit to God. And... um, then someone says, "No, no, no, we don't need to go because the pastor's not going to be there tomorrow." And you don't—no one wants the B team, you know. Uh, <laughs> not that—that's not really the case. That was our faulty thinking. Because really, uh, when I'm not here, I try to have people that are going to minister just it, and 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 they did too. I mean, their their guest speakers were phenomenal. And, but anyway, we we just said, "Well, the pastor Bob's not going to be there, and he's really fun to listen to, and so we don't need to go." And everybody was. Yeah, yeah, he's not there. So we'll go the following week. We'll get convicted that week, but we won't go tomorrow. <laughs> Plus, it's 3 in the morning, so who would possibly feel like going? So we go home, go to bed, and I wake up with a headache early. I couldn't go back to sleep, so I said, we need to go to church. She's like, oh, the pastor's not going to be there. We said that. So I literally said, no, no, we need to go. I lifted her. Now, Mary's so not able to do this. I put her on the floor. I said, we got to go. <laughs> Somehow she... Instead of telling me to take a hike, start getting ready, drinking coffee, and we, we get there. Now, we are 15 minutes late. Uh, we arrive 15 minutes late, pull in the parking lot. Now, if you're 15 minutes late at a huge church that's packed, and it was, there's no parking space. But I pulled in the main parking lot like I own the joint. And lo and behold, there's this parking space right by the front. I mean, not a handicap. There's a handicap parking space right by the front door didn't dawn on me that this should be highly unusual. I just pulled in like normal. There's thousands of cars, and there's a spot right there. We're 15 minutes late, and then it dawns on me we're going to sit in the overflow room. I don't like the overflow room. This was before it got normal watching things on screens. At this point in American history, we didn't like to watch things on screen. You wanted to be in presence of the auditorium, not watching it from some screen that was grainy, and and you felt like you were in the... um, cheap seats or something, so literally we'd get there tired, hungover, late, drove 30 minutes, 35 minutes to get there, and now we decide we're going to back up and go have breakfast at IHOP. That's what I decided, but I couldn't because a pastor pulls up in a golf cart behind me. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, he does this with our window, I roll the window down. He says, hey, folks, what you doing? I said, we're going to go have breakfast. <laughs> well, aren't you going to come into the service? I said, well, we were, but I don't want to sit in the overflow room. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to sit in the overflow room. So he's like, you're not sitting in the overflow room. Come with me. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess we don't want to sit in the overflow room. We get out. None of this stuff seems unusual to me yet. I'm still, <laughs> still going our direction. Sarah's still waking up. We walk in with him. Tells the ushers, hey, get these folks some good seats. We get like 7 to 10 rows from the front. And, you know, seats, you know, every service is like 3,500 people. So now we're 7 to 10 rows from the front, and we got right on the aisle. None of this seems unusual yet, so we sit down. Remember, none of our friends came that day. They were all still at home sleeping off the parrot lounge. Just me and her there. No one else is there. Just, just us. All of our friends were back at home. And then the worship is in its last song. This is how late we are now. We're at the 20-some minute mark. We sit down, and worship kind of comes to a close, and we hear the pastor's voice speaking. He wasn't supposed to be there. I don't think we were supposed to be there, or we were both supposed to be there, right? Or all three of us, anyway. So the pastor's voice, and then he finishes prayer, and he goes, I know, folks, I know. I was not supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be in California preaching, but this fell through and that fell through or whatever, and so you got me after all. And so that was the first light bulb moment for me that whole morning. The parking lot, all that stuff didn't register at all. I just thought, because I was really kind of a prideful, arrogant person that kind of thought, well, that's the way it should be. I should get that space. I, you know, I don't deserve to sit in the overflow room for people that are late. Well, I was late, yes. <laughs> anyway. So we, um, I, then I did think, I'm like, this is a little odd that he's here. Oh, well. He preaches from Revelation chapter 3. He preaches to the lukewarm church. And he said, what are you trying, he, he preached a message, and he said, you're on the fence, somebody, you're on the fence here, you're, you're, should I follow God, should I not follow God? He said, Would it be that you're hot or cold or I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He said, Jesus said these words, and he said, you're tri- you want one hand in the world, you want one hand with God, but you can't have both. You either give it all to God or you take all the world. But, and, uh, you know, then he goes to the message. And, and by the end of it, uh, by the end of that message, um, I turn, I, I, I fell under heavy, heavy, heavy conviction. My heart pounding out of my chest because I knew I was in a valley of decision. And every person here, God brings us to a place of decision. It's, the Bible calls it the valley of decision where we have to decide yes to Jesus or no, he stands at the door and knocks. And he's going to say to each and every person, yet do you want to receive eternal life or do you want to say no? Because he will not force you to be a Christian, but he bids you to come, not not just eternal life, but also that he would then do things you could never imagine in our life. And uh, as that altar call was given, other people started going forward and... um, There's probably 10 people at the altar by then. And I I sensed in my spirit, God just really gave me the sense that I don't know, I won't know until I get to heaven, but I had this sense that God was saying, it's now or never for you. It was a now or never moment for me. It wasn't like uh, God, because remember, I've been doing this for two years, come, not come. God's like, this is it. What will you do? And this became an easy decision for me because I knew that I would go to hell if I were to die. And so I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going forward. And she said, so am I. So we went forward and, you know, tears running down my face. And we we prayed and we gave our life to Christ. And uh, there's no doubt looking back that it was all orchestrated by God. That when we were born, we had no idea to be together. But he would bring us to a point of salvation. on the same day, all of our friends weren't there. As soon as we got saved, it didn't take long. You know, we wanted to go to church. Now, all of a sudden, we weren't looking for reasons not to go and for reasons why, well, maybe we'll skip this week because this is important or that important. Our calendar started to clear by our own intentionality, saying, Lord, we want to hear the word. We want to be fed. We want to get to worship. We started buying worship music CDs. I mean, this was a time when I was into, like, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that kind of stuff. This is mid-90s we're talking about here. And all that stuff, I immediately had a distaste for it. And I wanted to listen to Michael W. Smith. I mean, come on. You know, it just did, you know, what a, what a switch. We couldn't get enough of worship. We wanted to get to fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. I started witnessing to my friends. No one had to tell me to start witnessing. I started witnessing to my friends. I was still bartending. This was not good for business, by the way. Um, (laughs) I had one guy at the bar literally tell me, he goes, I couldn't sleep at all last night thanks to what you were telling me. For real. I really had a guy come in the next day and told me, I could not sleep last night because he was... As he was having his martini closing down the bar, I'm telling him about hell and eternal life and all this other stuff <laughs> and uh, alcohol is bad. So if, after a while, I got convicted. I can't pour, keep pouring people drinks either, so this, something's got to give there too. But I did another faith. For 10 months, I still bartended until I finally said, I can't do this anymore, and I went and worked at a, at a gym and uh, got into selling health club memberships so I could finish college. But... Um, even I still play basketball with my friends, and it was a routine. We play basketball at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and then we go straight to Hooters for wings. And that had to fade away because I started telling them about the Lord. Now they couldn't really enjoy the atmosphere near as much because I'm telling them about Jesus, and and I can't come here anymore, and you guys shouldn't either, and all that kind of stuff. And we get we get to church. Every, every Sunday, we try to get to church, and on Wednesdays, if we were, didn't have classes or school, we try and get to that, but in 1 Peter 2, two it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow. When you really get saved, God gives you a desire for the Word. Yeah, You'll have a desire for the Word. We started buying tape series back then, kids. We didn't have downloads, and you bought tapes. Put them in your car, and you listen to tape series. We were listening to these things. But there were also issues when, you, when, when we first got saved, and some of you probably remember this, when you first get saved. You know when you first get saved, Satan's not ready to give you up? Yeah, yeah. When you first get saved, Satan is not ready to give you up. He's going to test and see, is this the real deal or not? Are you really following Jesus, or was this an emotional experience? See, a lot of people have had an emotional experience, but have not been born again. They're not really born again yet. They've had an emotional experience. But Satan started attacking. You know where he started attacking? In our marriage. We had to rebuild our entire marriage on truth and love. You know, when you're before you're saved, your marriage is not built on real things. It's built on, I think you're hot. <laughs> I think you're hot. Well, we can, we can build on that forever. No, you can't. <laughs> right? It does not have a permanent life shelf. <laughs> but we still, you know, we were still young and we still thought we looked good, but we found our, our marriage wasn't built on truth. It wasn't built on love. It wasn't built on solid things. Our relation had built on, been built on shallow things like partying with our friends. It was built on such shallow things. We didn't realize we had such a faulty foundation that even after we were saved, Satan started attacking our marriage, we didn't really trust each other. We had all kinds of issues. We looked at, you know, like, uh, you're not the person I thought you were. You're not the person I thought you were. Because salvation starts to reveal. A lot of junk has to come out before the foundation. It's kind of like a renovation project. It's a complete, it's not just that the house was built, but now it has to be gutted. And That's the painful process, brother and sister, when you get saved. You say, well, this should be the end of all problems. No, it's the beginning of some. It really is. It's the beginning of some. But they're not going to be there forever if you stick with the Lord. And so it may seem strange, but it's a very normal thing that soon after salvation, Satan tries to pull you back into a new pit. Don't be alarmed at this. Find mature believers to pray you through it, to talk you through it, to walk you through it, to show you in the scriptures, hey, this, this happens. Remember, Satan tried to pull Peter back in, even near the cross, but it didn't work. We started to just cling to the Lord uh, in our personal life and in our prayer life and our devotional life. And, um, and even though at, at times it, we, we kind of even had feelings of even wanting to be divorced, and yet we said we can't because the Bible says something different. You know, the Bible is an anchor to help us not do dumb things. My wife clung to this verse um, in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, she had never needed to cling to verses before salvation, but now we did. You know, a lot of times you think before salvation, you're strong. You're really not. You're just ignorant of things. So you're just kind of aimlessly blissful. You know, ignorance is bliss to a degree. But once the light of salvation comes in, you really have things to fear for the first time in your life because you know there really is evil and you know that you have a flesh. Right, right, right. And all these things start to come into play. My verse, I would, first is to I cling to, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. I'd always leaned to my own understanding. Right up to, we were going to go to IHOP before I pull, couldn't pull out of the parking space. Leaning to my own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. So we started to just ask the Lord and pray constantly. Lord, how do we grow? How do we grow? We didn't even get personally discipled by anybody. We We were too busy with school. And yet, you know who discipled us? The Holy Spirit. Through the Word of God. And the pulpit ministry. The pulpit ministry really did disciple us. But that would only take us so far. God would not let us stay there. Lord, how do you rebuild this marriage? Where do we live? Where do we work? All this kind of stuff. We were still in South Florida, and then the Lord had us move after we finished college to Charlotte, North Carolina. We found new jobs. We found our first jobs out of college. I was so excited. I got a health plan with my new, my first career job. Yes, I'm off the college plan or whatever else it was. Didn't have to see a university nurse or something like that. We both found jobs. We both worked in downtown Charlotte. Um, there was no Calvary Chapel there, even though we have a great love for the verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word. So we ended up at a church of God. You guys ever heard Church of God? So Central Church of God, Loran Livingston, pastor there. If you go online, uh, phenomenal preacher, fiery kind of guy. Uh, but it was really good for us because while we were there, I got into men's groups, and uh, we, met, we finally got into what's called fellowship. We had couples and other friends we started to get to know, and the Lord just started doing a work in us realizing that we needed the other family of God, that this isn't, uh, if you're a Lone Ranger Christian, this is not God's plan for you. And so we started to get into fellowship, and we found out that everyone else had the same kind of struggles that we had, and everybody else was working through the same kind of things that we were working through. And, And so you pray together, and you got to know each other, and uh, really this was a, a period too that, um, you know, the Lord led me first and then my wife would follow and seek the same things. Men, you have to lead spiritually. You're called to lead spiritually. You're called to be the first. Don't let the, you know, we have a lot of times, you know, ladies study, sign-up list looks like this. Men study, sign-up look, uh, sign list looks like this. And God says, no, when we lead, we'll lead the whole family in. Now, we didn't have a family at that time. Matter of fact, uh, we were single. I mean, we were, we were childless for six years uh, into our marriage. We kind of liked not having kids. We were really enjoying this. Uh, my daughters are sitting up front here. We love y'all now, but um, but at that point in time, we kind of liked the freedom. We were rollerblading and on the weekends, and literally, we were. Rollerblades were big in the late 90s, so we were doing rollerblade on the weekends after work. Hey, what do you want to do? You know that kind of thing. But uh, during that same time, the Lord called us to a tiny Calvary Chapel church plant, and uh, the Lord actually gave me a, a dream where when we went there the first Sunday morning, we were so early because we were used to being in huge churches where if you didn't arrive early, you can not get a seat. We were the first cars in the parking lot. This was not a good sign. We were about to back up again, and two cars came in both the entrance and the exit. We could not leave. <laughs> now we we're in three cars. We started going to that church. There was like 26 people at Calvary Chapel, Charlotte. I didn't like it at all. She didn't like it. And yet God had given me this dream, and I'd solved different things, and I knew, and he gave me scriptures. I knew we were supposed to go there. We weren't attracted to it in many aspects. We felt completely uncomfortable. Some of you, the first time you came here to this church, you were completely uncomfortable. You didn't feel right, but something told you you need to stay. I felt that there. My wife felt that there. We couldn't, part of us liked it there, and part of us couldn't stand it there. And yet we kept staying because God says, this is where I want you to be. I was listening to another brother who also came out of Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. Today he runs a ministry in Nairobi, Kenya. Gave up a, a successful insurance business, had a home on the water in Boca Raton, gave it all up, and now the ministry is exploding. He's training 250 pastors a year now in in Nairobi, Kenya. God's doing amazing work in the African nations. And Calvary's playing a big role in it. But he gave all that up and he said, you know, he's telling the whole church, this is just a few weeks ago, I want you to see the little clip. I want to show it to the whole church. He said, God will most likely put you in a place that's not comfortable for you. That's where you'll grow. And he'll actually call you to do things that are not comfortable for you to do. People say, well, I want to use just the things I'm gifted in. That's actually not the way it always works. He'll actually say, no, I'm going to put you places where you're not so gifted. We don't feel right. You feel out of place. You feel a little bit like this is the wrong situation. It's rubbing me wrong. We wanted to leave, but we couldn't. The Lord says, no, this is where I want you to grow. When we learn to die to ourselves is where we really grow. That's when we really grow, and we die to ourselves. So we were there, and uh, um, there was no dudes that liked sports there, and I didn't like that. All you guys are geeking out, but none of you—none of you are talking about the NFL. None of you are talking about college football. The women were baking bread. My wife didn't bake bread; she wasn't into that. She she thought a certain amount of clothing looked good. They didn't care about that. Some of them were homeschooling. We never heard of homeschooling. Not everybody there, but you know what? We stayed, and the longer we stayed, God cut because we stayed. God started bringing people like us we actually started being a catalyst to help balance out the body. Did you know some of you are the catalyst to help balance out this body? Some of you, when God calls you to a place, you're the very people that God says, when I put you there, you're going to be able to call people like yourself. They're going to have your interest. They're going to have your background. This is how God adds diversity in a church. Because somebody has to say, Lord, I'm just listening to you. I'm not listening to the outside environment. And that's what we did. And God brought a lot of new people and just changed the whole, uh, just kind of the look and feel. Uh, But the pastor's heart was an amazing heart. um, But we're told to just stay and abide in him, ignore our flesh, grow for our own good, but also grow for the good of others. John 15, 2 and verse 4 says, And every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it divides in the vine we had to just stay there and grow stay there and grow god was pruning us the problem wasn't the other people the problem is always us do you realize that the problem is always us cuz god's always looking at us how are we reacting during this time we grew to understand that god wants to when we were living in charlotte going to that little tiny calvary there god wants to transform every part of our life by the way one of the reasons why we had to leave a gigantic church is god says this little place I want to send you where you're needed. They have lots of servants. I, want to, I think God wants to divide up a lot of churches in America and redistribute some of the talent. I do, because Americans like to hoard things, and it's not a good thing. God wants to distribute the gifts among the body and distribute people, but a lot of people say, well, no, no, I want my 1,000-person choir. I want this or I want that. And God says, but I want you to go take it to someone else. They need this too. Just think about that. So that's why God called us and clearly said, no, I need you to go there. This is what I want you to do. I don't want you to live for yourself. I want you to go. You're not even going to Sunday church for yourself. You're going for other people. So we started to do that. And the Lord was just showing us. He wanted every part of our life. There's just no shortcuts with God how he wants to work. By the way, we, at this time, we still had a ton of debt. College loans, whew, we had a lot of them. Car loans, engagement ring loan, all kinds of stuff we couldn't afford that we just thought, oh, well, we're Americans, we deserve this, we should get it. Visa, we shall have it, that kind of thing. And we did, and we had all this kind of debt. Um, but with our jobs, we, we, hadn't really, we hadn't really thought about financial giving to the Lord at all for the first three years of marriage. No one had hammered on us. We'd never had anyone come say, you must tithe or you, you are going to never, ever flourish. No one told us this. We just started reading in our Bibles and we started saying, we need to start giving. No, it was just the Holy Spirit. No one told us. No pastor came and visited us. No deacon board says, we well, you checked your records. And, uh, you know, what gives? Not you, but we, we were asking what... Uh, none of that happened. It was just the Word. But as the Word was convicting us that we needed to start to give the Lord, we're like, how? We're in, we're in massive debt. How are we going to possibly give financially? And then I heard this message, Dr. Tony Evans. You ever listen to him on the radio? The Urban Alternative. I'm riding down there. I got a chance to visit Dr. Evans' church a few years later after that in, in, in Texas there, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Now, I'm listening to Dr. Evans. I love to listen to him. And he said, he, said, he was talking about a couple that was in severe financial trouble. And he says, you best start giving you better start giving. That's what his advice to him, and that the counseling session was over. Right. So that, and so we, I started to process that, and so we started to say, "All right, Lord, we'll we'll start giving," which is a big step of faith to us. And it wasn't too long after that that God opened up doors. I, I went to work for a little company called Microsoft. My wife was able to stay home. God doubled our salary. I made enough to cover what she was making. She stayed home. We started having kids, and God just started open door after door after door. And in the next few years, I didn't know he was only paying off my debt because he was preparing me to kick me right back out of the very place that he took me. (laughs) That's about what was happening. You know, but God just lets you know, God doesn't want or need our money. But in certain areas of growth and maturity and victory, they will never take place until that area of worship is surrendered. I said worship, area of worship. You see, all of our giving, our prayers, our praise... Our time, our talent, our abilities, our financial resources, which, by the way, God gave us in the first place, just like our beating heartbeat to even do the job. He wants us to give them right back in sacrificial worship. How do we know that this is not only true here on earth? Did you know in heaven we'll give our crown straight back to him? So everything, God says, everything I give you, I give you breath, give it back out by giving to the gospel. I give you legs to move, give it back out by serving people. This continues on and on. We um, we started in that time serving in children's ministry. The first time you've heard me say we had the toddlers. I walked in; it smelled horrible in there. (laughs) But you know what God said to me, in that still small voice, God says, "You have kids. Why aren't you helping with kids?" I didn't have a Bible verse. I didn't have anyone reprimand me. I didn't have anyone come to me and say, hey, you need to start serving in children's ministry. The Lord just put on my heart, you have kids. These people are sacrificing to help with your kids. You need to be sacrificing to help with their kids. And so we did. We had had a one-year-old at that time. We started going in there. She had diaper duty. I had... Get it in a Ziploc bag really quick and get it to the dumpster duty or whatever else. Uh, that and and we started teaching and it wasn't comfortable for me and I didn't really enjoy it. But that was the Lord was teaching. If you can't teach, Jesus said, "Let the little children come to me." If you can't teach kids, you really can't teach adults. In some respects, God says that I want you to grow in this. We started teaching there. Started serving in a halfway house. Uh, pastor started sending me there sometimes to talk to guys that would. While I talked to them, it was really an interesting experience. Um, I helped lead a men's prayer group, and it, I helped start a men's prayer group, and then the Lord's caused the pastor and a couple other guys come to me out of the blue, said, we want to lay hands on you. We think God's going to call you someday to full-time Christian service. I'm like, no. But they prayed over me, and in a few years, I took a job transfer to this city here, to Richmond, Virginia. So... It had been 12 full years since Sarah and I had left the Richmond area way back before it got 12 years, and God brought us full circle from Richmond to Miami up to Charlotte. I never saw how God was sneaking us back to Richmond because I had said, I have a big dysfunctional family. I'm like, I like to visit on holidays, right? I'm good. Just holidays are enough. God says, no, you're going back there. I had no designs of seeing Family on a regular basis, much less being called in, in a full-time ministry. But that hands laid on, I had kind of forgotten about. So we got right back in a children's ministry. We got here, started serving with a different uh, four and five-year-olds. Started working there, and a few, uh, maybe even in the first year, I don't remember how long it was. We felt led. By the way, we did not have any teenagers, and we felt led to start a youth group, which is still surviving to this day, called ATG Against the Grain. You saw our teens there. My wife and I felt led to start it. We did not have teenagers. By the way, you don't have to have teens to work with teens. You don't have to have children to work with children. You just have to have a willing heart. And so we started working with the teens. And and, uh, by the way, Scott and Julie, who now have been leading our teens for ten full years here, they still don't have teens. (laughs) They are amazing. They're away this week this weekend getting some rest and i'm glad they are and i'm glad when any of you get a chance to get away with your families and get some rest but they've been serving for 10 years and they don't even have teens i call this called cubed those of you that like math uh called cubed because we were called back to richmond we were called to start this teen group which still survives this day i was called at this point to be an elder And then I was called and ordained as a pastor, which, again, I got sideswiped. Uh, They came to me and said, hey, we think we should get you ordained. Uh, We think God's going to call you into something eventually. Now, my mind was thinking 50 years down the road, I might go plant a church somewhere. After I'm fully established financially and I can go do this work, God had other plans. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Nobody should ever choose to pastor a church. Nobody should ever choose to be. It has to be men of God should see that calling and and come and lay it. Paul came to Timothy. It wasn't the other way around. Hey, didn't Timothy come? Hey, you need to anoint me. (laughs) David, he didn't track Samuel down and say, hey, Samuel, you've been looking for a king? I'm the guy. (laughs) No, usually the guys God's looking for are not looking to be found. They're actually hiding like Moses in the wilderness. Send Aaron, he's really gifted. But anyway, we were uh, in this thing together, me and my wife, all along the way. They were all big uncomfortable steps uh, in Charlotte, going all the way back to uh, South Florida when we first attacked out of being saved. And lastly, it brings us to here, this this building here. Um, when God called me to take over the church in 2007, uh, that was a surprise. I it, it, it got the uh, the uh, request in late 2006, we didn't have to go anywhere geographically, but guess what? We, ha- we did have to go forward. You, brother and sister, might not be, be called anywhere geographically, but you are being called to go forward, whatever that is in your life. And in my case, I was sent from the pew to the pulpit. And I had been mentored all those years, and a lot of people had been in my life, and my wife was sent, she was sent to encourage me through the process and we come full circle, as I said, um, and God was really calling us. We were sent to where we were sent before we were born, ultimately, because God knows our plans before we're born. We were both sent to our knees many times. I've, I've been in more spiritual warfare in the last four years than I, than I think all of my previous years of salvation combined. I can promise you that since I left the business world four years ago. More spiritual warfare than all of the years combined. Makes all previous battles look like child's play. In my mind, I'll look back and see what God is doing. And every pastor I've talked to, they say, yeah, you, you go through these seasons or they're like hurricanes in your life. And you know, it's not just for pastors. Some of you may be in a hurricane right now. Hang on tight to Jesus. He'll bring you through it. You'll not only bring, he'll not only bring you through it, but he'll bring you through it to help someone else through it. Because you really can't help people with saying, well, I heard so-and-so has faith. You have to develop faith. You have to grow in faith. I have to grow in faith. A.W. Tozer's of faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze in the heart of the triune God. A continuous gaze. We're constantly having to grow in faith. You notice all these said growing. Every season of our life, God wants us to be growing. If you're not growing anymore, it's time to regrow. Time to be replanted. Time to have God start to start uh, refresh and renew that. I was called to uh, take the role of pastor in the church, and I was bivocational for five years. Um, I said yes. She had to agree with this. There was not going to work if I said yes and she was saying, you can have that. But she had to agree, and she did, and she was actually more agreeable than I was at the beginning. But I can tell you this, the job of pastoring this church is 100 times beyond my abilities. I can tell I, I, you say, oh, you're just joking. That's hyperbole. That's, it's not. I used to not think it was. The longer I've been at it, now I realize it's 100 times beyond my abilities. And that's a good place to be. Every job God calls you to, brothers and sisters, beyond your abilities. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. A lot of Christians don't believe that. They think they, they can handle almost everything, and God gets things like cancer. Right? God gets the really big triple bypasses. But if it's not the big stuff, I can handle it. It's not true. Jesus said nothing. They started to claim this verse, 2 Timothy 1, 12, For I know in whom I believe and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Brother and sister, commit to God, and he'll bring the plans to pass. But you've got to commit. Value a decision, not just for salvation, but in your marriage. I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. I'm going to start to worship God with all He's given me, and He'll make it fruitful. He'll start to prune us back. but It'll all work, and in the end, this is where we find ourselves and again. 22 years later, I had no idea we got. Well, I'm, I'm there, and the, I'm there at the altar of Calvary Fort Lauderdale. Had no idea I'd someday stand and invite other people to altar calls. That was the farthest thing from my mind. You know what was in my mind? I'm not going to be able to play beach volleyball on Sundays anymore. (laughs) But okay, Lord, I give you my life. I will not be going back to the parrot next weekend, but okay, Lord, I give you my life. And what the Lord was saying is, no, someday you'll be leading other people to me. God wants to make us fruitful that we what? Multiply. Brother and sister, we'll have to do this together. You know, I love the African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's a family. We've got to go together. You've got to, in this body, we've got to forgive each other on a regular basis. Love covers a multitude of sins. People will offend you here. Guess what? They'll offend you down the street too. And across the world, they'll offend you. And you have to forgive and say, Lord, we can be... 10 times more effective for you if we truly love each other and forgive. We've got to forgive a lot. And we've got to love each other. And we don't come here just to be fed. We come here to feed and heal other people. And when we do that together, we're growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. God didn't save us just to save us. He saved us to use us for His plans and His glory. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. You truly are the ones that have purposed our times and seasons. In this room, Lord, every testimony in here is equally important and equally valuable in the work of the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that what I've said, no matter what I've said, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has used it to speak to hearts in different ways for that which we need That we would be reminded, Lord, we all have a Passover, if you will, of bringing us out of the world and into the fellowship of worshiping you with our lives. And I pray, Lord, that each person here is reminded of what's taken place. And if anyone here doesn't have that first time where they counted the cost and gave their lives to you, that even today they would give it to you. In your name I pray. Amen.